morning to a new episode of the Life Science Get Together podcast, Beginner's Mind. Uh, today with um, a very special topic in the deep tech area with uh, the episode is titled with uh, the sound title, uh, Marrying Deep Tech with IP Strategy. Um, I think the ultimate goal of uh, every founder is uh, in the end to make money and uh, making money with deep tech companies has potentially two exit points, either the company sold to a pharma industry or to uh, other players in, in other deep tech areas than the pharmaceutical industry uh, or via an IPO. And uh, going down the IPO route, um, also the, the um, let's say, uh, big um, industrial company route um, needs an economic mode. Warren Buffett, uh, I think he's one of uh, the most iconic uh, investors these days with Berkshire Hathaway, uh, averaging 20% return. And I think up to 1995 or something, it was 31% return annually. Um, on the question what he's looking for in companies, uh, he says in the answers, besides the team, he's looking for an economic moat. And uh, what is this mysterious economic moat uh, in case of deep tech and uh, B2B business? Um, is something that uh, every deep tech entrepreneur should think about. And in my opinion, one of the best economic modes uh, are patents, um, patent strat strategy and a peace strategy. And I'm very happy today to have uh, one of uh, the best European experts uh, in this uh, podcast, uh, Dr. Andrea Sommer from Munich, Germany, Bavaria. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hello, Christian. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, first of all, I want to thank you, Christian, for providing that wonderful um, platform for um, yeah making this exchange possible. And I think it's an exciting uh, topic, even if maybe some of <laughs> yeah the audience might think more that it's um, like Texas. But in fact, it's it's very exciting, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a strategic game, and you need to know the rules to be successful at the end. Uh, yeah, Texas is exciting. Is uh, I think uh, most of the time people um, find out how exciting it is when uh, tax audit is coming to the office, and uh, then some can get very emotional but let's stick let's stick with uh with patents uh i mean patents basically to put it bluntly um in my humble opinion are there to protect the business and um, when i talk to founders so first-time founders let's start with the business very often i get the impression maybe i'm wrong but uh it's my perception that um the idea is, okay, you found a company, you file a patent once and that's it for the lifetime of a company. Maybe we start with the basic and walk through the lifetime of a company from foundation in licensing to the end of um, the, the life cycle of a company with, let's say, an IPO so that the investors get their exit or uh, selling the company to the pharma and uh, discuss by each uh, with each single step, uh, what pet, what role patents play, and uh, how uh, the process really works in in practice. Yeah, actually, I know what you mean, um, but I think it's a little bit like, um, yeah, 
going to the gym once is also not enough to stay in shape permanently. So it's a little bit like that. It's the illusion that you might get that that's that's it to file a patent once and then then um, you participate from from that success the next fifty years. Um, but that is a wrong understanding. Um, it's a continuously ongoing process. So and there's a lot of strategic um, aspects. Um, behind that so at the end you need um, to know the rules or at least have a team um, that plays together and can can um, draft a strategy how to act in in principle um, if we talk about deep tech um, and and innovations uh, I think uh, as a basis we can assume that we have a real a great invention, something that um, will have such beneficial future aspects so that we have not to talk about now about whether it's an invention or not. I think we take that for granted for, for the discussion here today. Um, I think um, in particular in, in, in pharma, chemistry, business, um, it's very important because you have a, a concept, but in the very early stage when uh, people from university decide to, to branch off a, a new entity or to, to um, create a new, an, a new group of people um, to go deeply into this invention, they have a general concept, but it's not so well developed that they know every detail. Um, they they need to uh, get the proof of concept and to to figure out what at the end are the the embodiments that will succeed that they will pass the clinical trials that they will pass the whole process uh, and therefore at the very first beginning it's you need to know or, or that would be best if you know what are my features, what, what is the concept, what is the crucial aspect, because it is very difficult to apply for a patent or write a patent application in a very, very general manner, um, because the special rules before, for instance, the European Patent Office are so special that you might lose your priority claim. And therefore, um, priority claim means you file a priority application and then one year after that filing, you file another application now uh, covering uh, the member states of the Patent Corporation Treaty or the European Patent Office um, being able to nationalize this patent application in other countries after 30, 31 months after the first filing. So if you have this system, the, the rules before, um, in particular, the European Patent Office are so special. And this um, is based on the fact that when the European patent system entered into force in the late 70s, last century, it was relatively simple. 
you find a patent application with a, we call that Marcus group. So it's a, a general chemical formula having a lot of substituents. And then you define the substituents in kind of a list a table. And then this general formula covers one, two, three thousand single chemical compounds. So during that time, that was more the concept you have it. You have it in a table. And this, um, if you get it granted, then this pattern covers all that chemical structures. But then after a couple of years, of course, the pharmaceutical industry and chemical industry that wants to have really strong uh, patents that are enforceable, um, they said, oh, okay, we didn't know two years ago when filing the application that within that 2,000 chemical compounds, we have two or three that have a completely different effect uh, different interaction. They are even not disclosed in that patent application uh, by a chemical name or a specific chemical formula. They are not individualized and therefore it's not justified to get protection also for, for these compounds. In particular, if you know now that this is the future blockbuster for a different disease or different um, um, uh, chemical stuff. So, and then they developed that kind of new rules, how to navigate through that system. And then they said, oh, okay, if there is such a strong demand for further protection, then it's not justified to grant a patent for the, the first applicant in such a big scope that at the end, the other uh, um, industry or competitors uh, suffer from that patent. It should be possible uh, to have a more balanced system. And therefore, they uh, drafted these special rules saying, oh, okay, you need to individualize the compounds, et cetera, et cetera. But now, nowadays, you need to know how that system works because you have to individualize your compounds. You have to draft it in, in the way you see it. So when I first read my first patent application, I thought, oh, are they stupid? Why do they have tons of chemical formulas in it's evident for me from the from the table and the chemical structure what is covered by that so why do they write each chemical name and you have pages and pages and why do they have that specific language why are there paragraphs and paragraphs about um combining every feature and so on and so on. And actually, it's, it's to, to comply with the rules and the system. And that is the reason uh, you can only claim priority if you have the same disclosure. And disclosure means um, what you wrote in, in the patent application in general and how this is interpreted by a person skilled in the art on the basis of the special rules. And 
this is not so easy to understand. It's even for uh, patent experts, very difficult to draft something at the very first beginning where you, you cover a general concept without knowing the single chemical formulas. You have, of course, an idea. It's that group of substances, this group of compounds. Maybe you can amend the residues a little bit, having the same biological effect. You have a lot of theories and you are at the early stage and try to figure out with testing and experimentation what will be the best uh, target candidate for our invention and the further development. So at the early stage, at least you need to know uh, about the general concept, about the, the most promising uh, um, chemical um, groups and, and, and functional groups that are necessary for the interaction um, and what would be beneficial, at least two or three examples showing effects or showing that there is a proof of concept. And mostly this is in a stage, the very early stage of the company, or maybe um, still in the, uh, where the people are still at university in, in a group and have a first impression about and, and figure out what is the potential of this invention. And then, of course, you, at some point, is the question, what is the right point of time to file for a patent application. And to be honest, this point only exists in theory because you are always too late or too early. If you are too early, you have a problem that the, the, the patent examiner uh, might be of the opinion that it's not reworkable because the, the, the disclosure lack information how to put your invention into practice. Or you are too late because you thought, oh, I'm a little bit hesitant. I, I want to do that 1,000 experiments first and to figure out what is really going on in my, in my vessel. And then you you want to write it down in all detail and then you file it, you spend the money and then suddenly you recognize, oh shit, the other group did it two months earlier and no way to get protection for this invention. And then you, your whole concept is gone. So the best is to discuss in the process um, with an expert how you can optimize it and, and, and what is important in the process. And then you have to always to keep in mind that the whole system, it's, it's really a long ongoing process. Imagine if you have a blockbuster, that is of course the, the, the ideal goal of every inventor to have that blockbuster and you have a monopoly for 20 years and, and you Eat earn everything a lot of crack. money <laughs> and enrich the, the planet with all yeah, the beneficial aspects of your um, invention. But in fact, you file something today, you file 
a further application one year later, and then you want to benefit 20 years. But the, the granting process before the European Patent Office takes between two and four years in average. So after this, um, there is an opposition period. So um, your granted patent can be attacked by, by competitors, by, by the public. Then this, this lasts about two to four years, depending on the workload of the opposition divisions then you have another possibility to appeal that decision. This is, again, two or three years, and then you have a final decision. But this decision can also be um, questioned before the national competent courts in the member states of the European Patent Convention. That means you have nullity proceedings in all the countries, and... Um, that is an ongoing process. If you are lucky, then then you have the patent and you earn the money. But there are also cases where you have to deal with this the whole lifetime of the patent because your competitors want also to have a piece of your cake. So at the end, also the rules before the office changes. So when I started in, in, in the IP area, after my time at R&D in cancer research, um, I remember we had a, a, I attended a seminar and they talk about reworkability. And I thought, oh, that is interesting. Why is this, why it becomes this more and more important before the European Patent Office? And um, so this is 20 years ago. About 10 years ago, uh, companies lost a lot of patent, granted patents, because they did not disclose in the patent application how they performed specific measurements that were mentioned in the patent application. For instance, in in uh, the area of industrial catalysts that are needed for huge chemical uh, um, oil industry, etc. cetera. Uh, you can determine the, the, the surface of the catalyst that is called BET surface. And there are several methods uh, to measure that BET surface. For, for the working groups that applied for the patent and that companies, that was a no-brainer. They had two methods and they only used that one and they drafted the application in the claim that was that the BET surface is between X and Y. And then in opposition proceedings, um, with a rule that reworkability and sufficiency of disclosure becomes more and more important, uh, it was challenged and that it turned out that now the ruling is, uh, okay, it, you can only say nothing or disclose nothing if there is only the, the one and only method for the skilled person. But if there are two or three, which lead to different values and numbers, you have to say what method you used. And so they lost all their patents. So they spent thousands and thousands of, of, of euros for applying prosecution, uh, defense, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end, um, 
this little piece of information was not there and then then that was it nowadays of course you know that and 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 the experts uh, really focus on what they get from the inventors and and the summaries etc and then of course it's the ex, uh, experts um, business to to point to that and and ask the right question saying oh, okay what measurement did you uh, did you use for 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 this parameter, etc., etc. So it's a complex system. So, but coming back to to the to the starting point, so the very early stage, um, I think focus of the general concept. But it, it would be ideal to have at least. Um, some individual compounds or possibilities to show how it works so that at that stage, at least you, as a fallback position, you can claim what you already have. And then you need to check permanently, do we have new results? Do we have new chemical entities or group of compounds or what? Yeah, for what we also need coverage, but what is not mentioned in the first filing. So during that priority year, you can also apply for other uh, patent applications that claim then a later application date. And after one year, you can claim all the priorities within that year. And um, yeah, if you already know that that you need a special apparatus for performing a special method or you need especially adapted devices or whatsoever, then of course it makes also sense to have um, coverage also for, for those devices and apparatuses because that helps you to keep the competitors away from your invention because then you have a little wall uh, around your invention and of course the, the goal is at the end to have a little bit more space more buffer around you maybe to claim other uh, groups that are of minor importance for you but um, yeah so so that the, the competitors um, will not dare to get into your area and you have all in place to have the right coverage. But, but of course, as I said, it's an ongoing process and um, it's very, very important to always double check the first disclosure with, the, with that application after one year to check is priority validly claimed um, to, to streamline all this. Because if you... If you realize 14, 15 months after the priority application that the priority is not validly claimed, then your whole system collapses because then uh, all prior art during that one year, the priority year, is then uh, prior art for your invention and then um, you are not longer on the, on the right track to do it. Let's let's highlight let's highlight some points. I mean, you said it's an ongoing process. I think this is interesting because uh, before this discussion, I thought uh, 
this is a once in a lifetime event. So uh, scientists uh, work in the labs and uh, have some discoveries and then they find a patent once. Uh, you mentioned several times uh, in the opening speech that it's an ongoing process. So it means then, and correct me and please comment on that if I'm right or wrong. Uh, it means so the ideal process set up for the scientists would be uh, to involve a patent lawyer early on when uh, he or she starts working on an invention and discusses uh, the patentability of this invention uh, with uh, with the expert uh, for patents. And this is a process that is ongoing, which I understand uh, it's over the lifetime of the invention that uh, the patent experts work with the scientists. Did I get the right impression on that? Yeah, definitely. Because you, um, I think in the present case, we talk about companies, they want to earn the money with that idea mm. and invention in the long run. And, and that they also want to have um, uh, future embodiments in the pipeline to have uh, follow-up candidates in, in the pipeline, etc. So um, the problem is a little bit that, of course, you have, or most companies have a budget, and they need somehow to manage to <laughs> use the money they have to, to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. So um, the question is, of course, the inventors and the scientists, they know their area very well. So in general, they know the prior art. They know 95% um, of the, the other working groups. Um, they know about potential industrial competitors, etc. Um, there is still always uh, a black box of 18 months because um, patent applications are published after 18 months. So um, everybody has to deal with this black box. We just don't know what is in there and it's always a surprise after 18 months if something pops up. But in general, you need somehow a patent search to, mm. to learn more about your invention, learn about the prior art. So the question is how to get the results. And if I order a professional patent search from real professional searches, and here I want to stress the word professional, because everyone, everybody can Google uh, something or there are a lot of companies that say, oh, we do professional searches. And then it turns out that they don't search by chemical structures. Mm -hmm. They only search by names. And in chemistry, you are lost because sometimes the, 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 yeah, the name of the compound is chosen differently. Um, of course, we have the UPAC system, but um, there are also a lot of people that say, oh, okay, it's a derivative um, from another chemical formula, and we use that as high priority and then add something what we amended in the structure. So at the end, you look for something different. So to be more objective, it's always good to have a, a, a search by a chemical structure because then the name is not so important for this. And then you get the first results about is, are there already patent, patent applications pending or is there, are there patents out there uh, claiming your invention already? 
And um, the question is how in, in an economically way to get to that results. And um, for a really professional search, you pay something between 1,000 and 3,000 euros. So at the end, it's a lot of money. So therefore, a lot of clients decide it's better to spend that money in a well-drafted patent application and then um, await the, the first research and search opinion from, from a national patent office. And therefore, the first filing is uh, mostly filed in, in the home country or in Germany or in, in, in a country where you trust the search of the uh, national patent examiners. Or, or you, you pick the European Patent Office. That is always a good choice. And then you receive the first first assessment together with the search and, and an opinion about eight to yeah six to ten months after the first filing. And then you get a good expression um, whether the invention will make it, whether there is a chance to restrict it a little bit to, to be novel and inventive in view of uh, the cited prior art documents. And this is not so um, the costs are not so so high for for that first filing, and um, the the lifetime of the patent the twenty years that starts from the application date. So it's very wise to file after you have received the search and the search opinion to file a patent then one year to claim the priority because then you have an additional year of of uh, patent duration. And so you have 21 years in, in total. Um, and most of the costs, they are based on translation requirements. So if you would file, um, let's talk about an example where you are interested in coverage in 20 different countries. If you would, you, you can file this today in, in 20 different countries, having all the same application date. But then, in general, you need to file it in the official language of that country. So that means you have no clue about um, the prior art and what the patent examiners will cite as prior art. And you already need to spend the cost for all the translations. That is about... Two to four thousand euros for an average uh, patent application having about fifty pages, for instance. And but you don't want to spend the money now if you have no clue about the, the, the chances of success. So it's very wise to do first filing to await the, the search report to assess the chances. And this is also very important to involve patent experts in a really, really early stage, because I already talked a little bit about disclosure. Um, what a patent expert would think that is disclosed in the prior art might be completely different what the scientists think that is disclosed there. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the patent expert knows whether you can overcome objections and restrict the patent claims to have 
already or, or still have enough scope of protection for your invention or whether it makes no sense to further prosecute uh, the, the idea and the patent application. And this is already the first problem. So I had to, I had to find, or it's still my client, and um, 20 years ago, about 15 years ago, in, in the really early stages, they thought, oh, okay, one quick and dirty patent application is enough. We want to have a low-cost working product. And I think it it was they 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 paid thousand or two thousand euro for the patent application and they filed it. The problem was that they had the idea of the general concept and the person that drafted the patent application used a lot of general words. During that time it was not known what are chemotactic factors. They had an idea that that are factors that attract something in the tissue of, of a patient. And that word, it was disclosed generally, but it was not disclosed in detail. It was not known what it's in fact. And the client has been suffering from that patent application at least 15 years or longer mm -hmm. because every application they filed after this one. Um, this application was cited as prior art saying, ah, here already chemotactical factors are mentioned. That is prior art. It's known you are not novel. But in fact, if you have individualized other factors, then it's question, is it a general term? Um, is what, what interpretation is, is the correct one? What was What's the knowledge of a skilled person in the art, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if you do everything without strategy and without knowing, um, do I really have experts here on board or do I find something? You can have a lot of a half and a really a learning experience over 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 years and, and and decades because that comes already back and and it's it's also one of my supervisors in in the in the patent law firm where I did my training to become a patent attorney he said it's more a question of pay me now or pay me later because if you if you disclose everything at the very first beginning, you have a lot of fallback positions in this. And then um, the patent attorneys can easily adapt the invention and at the end you will get something granted. But if the, the first filing lacks all the information that is needed, at the end you have to pay a lot of hours uh, for, for the attorneys to try to, to provide argumentation of non-existing features that are not there and to, to, to struggle with all that. And then at the end, they, they try their best. And that, that, that needs a lot of time. And at the end, you, the result is not as good as you have the really, um, um, a good disclosure at the very first beginning where you can take the features out and you will also see this in the scope of protection at the end. And if you have that 
mind-blowing invention and and that will amend the future for for all the, the people then of course um you need this to to have enough um scope of protection at the end of the patenting process um to have uh, freedom to operate and 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 all this that that you need to be successful with your company and i think that is the problem you 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 start you always think about that 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 concept you that american dream that you start in the garage with with a computer and and a vessel and then end up as a multimillionaire uh, and 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 a company but it's a, um it's a 30 40 50 years process anyway so uh starting somewhere with an expert i think is uh, is sound advice so to to uh to nail it down um in a let's say in a, in a sound application it seems to be not an easy process to to walk through especially these days um with more and more activity in in many areas um then the uh let's say everything went fine and uh the patent ends up in a in a company and uh starts the american dream on the right track uh at some point in time we need investors and you mentioned already the term uh, maybe we can dig a little bit into that. Uh, very often investors say, give us an FTO analysis. So what's, what's that? <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, um, FTO means uh, freedom to operate. And... Um, If you apply for a patent, you have only the question, is my invention good enough to, um, to get granted and mm -hmm. um, to, to be issued as a patent? But the other question is, as a company, you have also um, to comply with due diligence and um, to watch your competitors and to um, make sure that you will not infringe other companies, patents, and intellectual property rights. And of course, an inventor want to earn money. But um, even if you have a patent, it's not guaranteed that you can bring the product to the market because you would infringe other patents. Maybe you have a dependent patent on a company you even don't know about the existence of that company. So that is very difficult. And it's also a different kind of search. So if we talk about searching for getting the patent, we, we search the broadest prior art. But if we talk about infringement issues and freedom to operate is a kind of infringement analysis, then we have to go into patent databases. And then we also look at different publications. 
So when we look for prior art documents, we usually take the A1 publication, that is the broadest, the first filing with that broad claims. And then the claims are amended during prosecution in, in almost all cases and end up with the granted claims. And for infringement um, analysis, the granted claims are the decisive claims, the, the valid, the relevant claims. So you have to take those claims, interpret it with the specification, and then to determine the scope of protection, and then have a look whether the client's uh, embodiment would infringe those competitors' patents. And then, of course, if, if you are sure that there are no existing patents that you would infringe, then, of course, it's, it's, it's um, the, the best news for the investors because this makes sure that um, the, the startup or the company can um, bring the, the products uh, to the market and 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 mm. and then earn the money because otherwise if you have not the freedom to operate then of course if you the competitor um notice your products on the market then he easily can is, uh, go to the court and a preliminary injunction will be issued that prevents you from any further uh, actions in this area. Let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, patent FDA analysis uh, market interaction. So very often when, um, I mean, maybe it's my uh, uneducated opinion, but very often when I read through patents, um, I see, as you said, concepts, so early stage concepts, which uh, do not describe an end result or a product in the end. So it's it's not a, a clear draft to the market. And uh, we do this for that kind of patients. Uh, but maybe I got the wrong impression. When I talk about FDO analysis, uh, I'm a step further. So the company at this point in time already knows what the market is or what the patients are should ideally know because uh, and I would like to discuss that a little bit because I mean when I ask a broad question so uh, to have to free freedom to operate to develop everything on the first patent I think also the FDO analysis can become very expensive initially uh, what's your opinion on that uh, how 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 well should the company at the stage of the FDO analysis uh um, be able to describe the target market is this a necessity so that you should really have a sharp perspective or can you really go out broad and say what, what, what tell us whatever we can infringe what's the optimal way in your opinion actually i think that that uh, goes in parallel with that concept of ongoing double checking your uh most promising compounds and and what's going on because in, in any case, when you file that, that second filing, of course, in an ideal way, it should be the first filing, then you already should know about, I don't know, what, what is the real, the, for instance, if you have a chemical com compound and you say, okay, this group of compounds, we, we figured out it's about 10, 10, uh, um, 10, single compounds that are promising and then of course you would claim that 10 compounds and that 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 functional groups then with with that in mind it's it's possible to 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 do the the search and to check because the competitors also have claimed a, a group of compounds it's 
maybe in a dependent claim, they have the single compounds. And then if you uh, have an ongoing clinical trial, of course, then you have to check uh, what what about toxicity? What about bioavailability? What what about all that life science interaction with humans and, 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 and the process? And then, of course, sometimes you started with compound A as the most promising candidate. And then in the clinical trial, it turns out that toxicity patterns of this or metabolism is not ideal and you think oh, okay maybe this end group is much better and then it turns out okay compound c is the most promising compound or um in 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 truck um formulation um in in that galenical process you you realize okay problem c is is really problematic mm. we take not compound e but it's still in that group of compounds and and if you have that group already, you can perform that FTO already. But of course, if you only have at a really early stage, only a general concept without knowing details, then it's difficult, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think in most cases, people come from universities or professors or, or postdoctorate students. They, they form a team and have that idea and then, then launch the startup. And then it's already the idea and and a, a group of something is there. And then, of course, if, if you are really, really close in, in the de development, then, of course, you can have a look whether that really detailed product is, is uh, the basis of, of the search, the, the subject mm. matter of the search. The more you know, the better it is. Um, in most cases, companies come and say, okay, this is our product that we want to bring on the market and look for this. When we, when we talk about this term, let, let's stay with drug development, I think, in the examples uh, for the time being. When I look at, uh, when I ask myself the question, when can I speak about the product? In my opinion, it's very often with clinical phase two data. Uh, so when we have the patient, when, also when we really know Uh, the production process, uh, how the product looks like, how the dosing regimen is, and what the patient ultimately is with what disease we want to treat and if it really works. So, the I mean, in, you, in your example, when you put it bluntly, from, from gut feeling, I would say the right point in time to start with an FDO analysis would be clinical phase two data, but we have the problem that we already burned a lot of money up to that way. So... Can it be an iterative process with a patent lawyer so that we really uh, start broad and then narrow it down? How does that work in principle? Because I mean, phase two, if, when I sum it up, I think we, we are talking about 50 million euros or 30 to 50 million euros that are already gone by that time. And when we start with an uh, FD analysis late, could be surprising. It it depends a little bit on, on the target. And also, um, for instance, um, If you have uh, the candidates and you can also do a lot of testing with uh, cell tissue culture okay. uh, and, and do screening there um, to, to have the proof of concept whether that truck really um, interacts in the metabolism or in the pathway of something. And um, if you only have... Uh, 
you want coverage in your patent for the chemical uh, compounds and um, you have uh, cell culture models for some diseases, um, that is sometimes already sufficient. Uh, of course, if you then you have we have uh, three different types of claims. We have uh, compound claims um, that result in, in protection for the compound itself. So you can produce it in, in any way you want, you can, or um, you can use it for all purposes. Then we have method claims that, that protect the method and uh, the product uh, produced by that method. And then we have the use claims. So, for instance, if, you know, uh, a drug being effective for headache and um, years later um, another group discovers that this drug can also be used for something completely different mm -hmm. um, as a fungicide, seed, for instance, or something like that, then the new use of the compound um, renders it novel in, in the sense of, 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 of patent uh, uh, law. So at the end, it also depends what kind of claims you have. Of course, at the very early stage, you want to get uh, compound claims so that you have uh, the most broadest scope of protection and coverage for, for your invention. So also, this is also an ongoing process. If you if you realize that you need to adapt it a little bit, then you you need to figure out um, can we uh, direct the claims maybe to to something different that is already in the disclosure, or do we need to file for new patent applications that we have also coverage for this? And and yeah, that is the reason why I think. The best strategy is to have experts on board at the really early stage to do the best as you can. And then you have enough problems because it's a real life situation <laughs> to, to double check and to get through the whole system. I think it's a very interesting topic because, I mean, when I look at the... Uh the hot topics on the stock market right now it's i think it's two so on one uh hand it's uh, crispr uh technology uh gene editing and on the other hand it's mrna so biontech moderna uh, sars-cov-2 vaccine and uh in stock market magazines interestingly i mean two years ago there was nothing about life science uh, or the pharma industry in depth in detail uh in those magazines it was more on the digital side but Recently, with uh, the successes of BioNTech, Moderna, and uh, CRISPR technologies and Intelia, also the average retail investors and institutional investors that are not investing in pharma uh, get more and more interested in that. And uh, recently, uh, on both ends, mRNA and CRISPR uh, in those magazines, they showed uh, a nice infographic um, explaining the patent landscape and how interlinked the companies in reality are. And it was very interesting because it looked extremely complex. It's how, uh, who license from whom and who does what. So when I think, uh, about the term we were talking about, FDO analysis, um, um, and I look at, uh, BioNTech who pivoted, in my opinion, from, uh, cancer therapy, uh, or cancer vaccines to, uh, viral infections. 
Um, I, I don't think that it was the initial intention uh, of the founders uh, to go in that direction. Um, when I when I um, uh, phrase it in a question, um, FTO analysis then I think is also not something that you can do just once. So I say it, it's one point in time. It also seems to be uh, dependent on the direction or strategic direction of the company, also an ongoing process where uh, the founders and investors interact with the patent experts uh, on a regular basis. Is this the right perception? Definitely, definitely. Or the single reason that also the competitors are in a in a fluent process. Um, imagine the last twenty years, how many pharmaceutical companies have um, focused their work on specific applications or diseases, and parts of the company were sold and merged. So. I started at, at, at Klinger Pharma during that time. Then it, it, it was taken over from the Japanese uh, Fujisawa. Uh, now it's Astellas. Um, there's a lot of movement in, in, in that. And I think 20 years ago, uh, people, um, they, they, they had the same office uh, uh, over years and every year a different business card because there was a new name on it because the divisions were sold and, and that merger and acquisition process was, was an ongoing process. And on the other hand, of course, if you um, figure out, if you start with a, with a vaccine against cancer and then a, a global pandemic is, is coming up and then you think, oh, okay, we have all the technology we have the tools to do it. We can amend it really quickly. So why not to, to, to try it? And I think um, if, if, you, if you have a look at this now, even one year later, you think it, it was a great thing because they, they, now they have the proof of concept. Um, um, and, it, and it was not that they started in February 2020. They started 10 years ago with all that uh, concepts and, and, and everything. Uh, but even in that process, if you, if you um, realize and notice that the competitors have something you need to produce your, your um, product or uh, if you have a own patent portfolio, you are always in, in a better situation because then you can also offer cross-licensing. And if you have nothing, then of course, then they can uh, they, they, uh, say, okay, on the label is that price, pay it or pay it not. Uh, it's your decision. But if you have something to negotiate, then it's of course we we have to to observe antitrust law etc. But even in in big industry, whether chemical industry, pharma industry, there are a lot of licensing going on, and sometimes the, the competitors even know it's it's also in that process when you attack your competitors' rights in an opposition. Uh, sometimes we have the situation that we use strawman opposition so that the 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 patentee does not know who is attacking the the protective right because there are license negotiations ongoing and they want not to poison the atmosphere in the process 
so there are a lot of strategic tools that you can do, but you are absolutely right. So um, if you see a chance and um, that is, yeah, you need a brilliant um, mind, a brilliant brain on top that, that, that sees the chances to, to uh, make a product of the invention. And then, of course, you have to, to search the, the, the technical area. Um, do I have the freedom to operate? What do I need to, to get my product produced and on the market? Maybe I need to negotiate a license with somebody else or I need a process for producing the same. Then maybe I, I have to negotiate there. And, and also for that process, you need highly specialized uh, lawyers that are able to, to guide you through that channel of, of things. I think it's, it's, um, in the, in the public domain or the headlines of the newspaper, it's more about, uh, mobile telecommunication. So there, there, you read a lot of Apple and Samsung and Nokia and, and, and the, 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 the basic technology of Nokia. And yeah, but, but imagine in, in a mobile um, a phone, you can have up to 2,000 patents involved in, in producing mm -hmm. that device. So that is a real channel. It looks like more a map for a, a computer. Chunkle is a great term, so let's stick with that terminology. When I looked and go a little bit back to the farm industry, when I looked at these uh, infographics, uh, especially about uh, the BioNTech and Moderna case with the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, my mind started working and um, started making up uh, worst case examples. And I, I want to discuss one example with you when we are, we are speaking. Um, so... My understanding of patents so far was as long as I don't push anything on the market, uh, as long as uh, the team I work with only is doing R&D, it's not a problem with patents. So nobody will uh, uh, will file any anything against the company as long as it's not a product that is sold to other people. Is this the right impression or uh, is there also during the R&D uh, phase when people just want to uh, do research, uh, basic research, for example, is there also something that can infringe a patent that people should be aware of? Um, it's just for checking my understanding. Um, I think um, it depends, of course, for... for um According to the national laws for uh, scientists, mm -hmm. universities, there is uh, special uh, freedoms how to use products for their um, experiments. Um, but if you have applied for a patent and it's out there and it is published, um, then you are on the radar of your potential. Yeah. No, no, let, let's just say uh, we have some brilliant minds uh, who say, okay, we can uh, develop something in a product and we have uh, ignorant investors who say, okay, just, just start working. We don't believe uh, that it's uh, that it's really working. So nobody nobody really cares about patent situation because we're on the safe side. It's only research and we have the money and uh, the likelihood that uh, a company, when they are aware of the research uh, who filed the patent already, uh, um, uh, starts uh, legal prosecution of this group who's doing research is very limited or very low, I think. Or is there uh, a likelihood that, um, for example, Big Pharma would start uh, suing a group for just doing research? 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Um, it depends on the on on the results and what is published because, mm. of course, there are also prior use rights that mm. there might be. Um, if you only do do the research, it depends. As I said, sometimes it's in according to the to the national uh, jurisprudence. It's allowed to use it only. Um, for for new things, uh, but not for the purpose where it's mm. on the market, and and so that, that oh, yeah, there is um, uh, there is a privilege for. I think for, I think this is a typical process. Uh, people you, you mean that the, the 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 private persons are sued for something because they 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 do experiments with that yeah, with the yeah, compounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that depends whether it's. Uh, it's uh, covered by by that um, we call it in Germany for Suchsprivileg, mm-hmm. um, that is uh, regulated by so the national. Let's, let, let, let's just assume it's it's covered by that to make it not not unnecessarily complex. Yeah. So uh, as long as we are staying on the on the research side, uh, there is a very small chance that something happens. So people can just do research yeah. and uh, early stage yeah. development as long as it's not hitting the market. I think it's get, it gets interesting once uh, the dollars and euros are flowing in from patients and uh, billions and billions pile up on the bank account. Then people sharpen their knives and uh, try to find out whether they can, a piece of, uh, can get a piece of the pie. So basically, researchers can work... Uh, in silence for very long without getting any external feedback that they are heading in a direction where something could go wrong on the legal side, on the patent side. Uh, I assumed further in my mind that also we do the uh, research work then when we want to know, can we find patents? We do that very diligently, but still there is always, even if it's a small chance uh, that we miss something. For example, there's also research going on in India or in China and uh, the world is getting more and more active uh, in the deep tech space. So there is a certain chance that even with a diligent work and with putting a lot of money behind it, uh, we still have a problem uh, to find patterns that we infringe. It's not. Uh, it's just bad luck. It's, it's not intentional. It's just bad luck. So my mind then came to the conclusion, okay, is there, there is a possibility that we end up with a product that is ready for the market. Uh, and we are not aware that uh, we infringed some patents. So now we have the situation, uh, and this was, uh, I think, uh, with the SARS-CoV-2, with this with very, very fast development cycle of uh, pivoting into uh, uh, viral vaccine development and bringing a product to the market in one year. And say, well, what, what can I do when I end up with a product that is really ready for marketing, so ready for bringing it on the market or... Um, 
uh, talking with the regulators that they allow it on the market. And then suddenly at the end of the process, so it's a therapy, it's working, it's good for patients, uh, and it can be this game-changing technology that the brilliant mind developed, uh, but we infringe a patent. And the patent owner says, no, I don't allow it. And I don't give you any license. You cannot put that thing on the market. Uh, is there any chance for this company to enforce uh, then uh, to get to get the license um, from from the patent, I mean, when they have a ready-to-market product, this this also depends on the national laws. Mm -hmm. That um, we talk about a compulsory license that is also possible, and there are countries where that is really easy. For instance, India and so on, because you you, you notice that they uh, already uh, made decisions that uh, products cannot delivered or. Also, or um, forwarded to the global market because there is a national uh, demand and need for those products. Mm -hmm. And um, we, so there, there is a tool. And what is also interesting is, for instance, um, all the, the vaccines producer, they had a really tough time because the development was so quick that they um, were not able to find patents because they had not the proof of concept and, and the data. And um, their only chance for protection was to apply for a utility model that is, for instance, possible in, in Austria or in Germany. And then you have a six-month grace period. So all your publications um, that are based on your own publications um, are not novelty-destroying six months before the filing date. And the scope of protection and the rights to uh, prevent other people from, from performing your invention are the same as uh, for a patent. So it's, it's, a, it's a protective right that is not examined, it's just registered, but it's the same weapon, the same tool for the competitors. It's a sharp weapon as well. But of course, traditionally, uh, pharma, life science, chemical industry, they want to have really strong patents that are enforceable. And therefore, they like more the patent system where you have an examined right and where you can assume off the ground that this right is enforceable. In, in a registered right, of course, there is still a kind of risk that if it's not valid, that you have to be a part of the costs of the litigation process, etc. But there are tools. But coming back to the compulsory license, there are systems, mm -hmm. and you can, if you show the, a court or an, an authority that you have asked that company twice or three times really seriously that you want to have a license and it's in the national interest that this product is produced like for uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, um, uh, viruses or, or vaccines, then you can go to the court and apply for a compulsory license. And not, yeah, depending on jurisprudence, um, I think nowadays you would get one. Because you have the same system in um, telecommunication systems, and there we have uh, the principle of friend conditions. So that means you need to provide fair and uh, reasonable remunerations and license royalties 
um, in order that your competitor can use the same standard. Mm. And uh, of course, you know, it's uh, with the cables and the clocks and all that, that is very, uh, yeah, you have a lot of standard and norms and, and that have to observe. And therefore, it's really difficult for people to get into that field. And therefore, I think um, uh, with the, comp the compulsory license system can be treated similar to this so that the patentee has to provide somehow a license for fair and reasonable. My, my, my understanding, in the, especially in the pharma industry, is that uh, a patent basically is uh, there are patent family or several patents to protect the product uh, for up to 20 years uh, on the market so that the pharma company and the investors can uh, secure uh, cash inflows to finance the development of the new therapy. And also to redeem some money with uh, the failed products that didn't reach the market, because it's I think one one therapy that hits the market costs these days up to three billion dollars. So it's it's a lot of uh, money. And sometimes I think uh, so when I uh, apply this worst case thinking, I have the impression that the patent laws we are working with um, started I think a few hundred years ago. So let's say 18, uh, 1800. What is what is the origin of uh, patent laws? I think it's 1800 something. So Late 1800 something. Yeah, in Germany yeah. it was the ultramarine uh, uh, pigment. So I thought uh, when when we look back 1800, I mean the world was not very connected, and I think the research activity was compared to today was very small. I know that there are a lot of breakthrough inventions, but uh, inventors were more the rare breed. Um, when I look now on uh, the world today, I mean, with um, uh, about uh, eight to nine billion people on the planet, growing population, uh, more and more universities uh, who are active in, in R&D and research, more and more companies who are active in R&D. And I think with the BioNTech and Moderna success, it will push the industry further in the future uh, with bringing in new capital, uh, getting especially the young population more interested in doing research. And as a result, we see more activity, which means uh, ultimately uh, more patent filings and uh, the world is getting more and more complex. So I really thought, can we really make sure even if we handle it as an ongoing process, uh, even if we talk with the best experts in the world and we allocate enough budget that we don't infringe a patent and it's just my gut feeling and say, there is always a likelihood that we oversee something, that we really have this yeah. uh, bad luck. Um, and this is a question which is more hypothetical to you. Um, what is the future of patent law? I think, I mean, uh, with this complexity uh, that uh, my opinion is arising in the world with uh, more and more uh, universities joining the, uh, the, the high stakes game in uh, developing also um, inventions with the intention to make money. Um, how can we handle that in future? What is your opinion on that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. 
We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. The question is, um, I think the, the fundamental question is, how can you have progress in research in a society? And um, that was the discussion in the 1900s when, mm -hmm. when the system started. It started mainly with, with, with inventions about um, rubber things, uh, gloves and, 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 and tires and, and all that stuff. Um, and that, there was a lot of discussion about this. And then it turned out that the problem is if you keep the things secret, then you have the problem. You never will have an idea about it. That, 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 of course, if you have something and you say that composition, it's very, very difficult to analyze it. And if I would have a patent, then after 20 years, the protection has left. Um, everybody then knows it. Of course, then it might be better to keep it secret because then you can keep it secret, secret hundred of years. But is it nowadays really possible to keep it secret because you have... Um, amendments in, in your staff, uh, people are hired and fired and they go to the competitor. So they have this in, in the mind, even if they are not allowed to take documents with it, with them, uh, you, there is still a problem. And the other problem is if all the things are kept secret at the end, you have no technical and, um, scientific process in a society because everybody has to reinvent the, the, the wheel from scratch and you cannot um, develop things based on already existing knowledge. So the patent system in, in the whole world is based on the idea that um, it's an agreement with a society that you have invented something And after 18 months, the public um, can read the disclosure, knows the detail. Therefore, that, that reworkability becomes more and more uh, strict, that, that the invention is really reworkable because of the deal with the society. You get a monopoly for 20 years, but only in case you offer the public 18 months after filing this invention, how you did it or how you can perform the invention and how to mend the system. Uh, because if you have no protection, then you are also uh, have the problem, will other countries or other companies from other countries be interested in bringing products to your market if you have no patent system. And it, it's a really complex situation. So I think at the end, the patent system will survive because it turned out now for more than 100 years that it, it works 
mainly <laughs> or, or uh, no, I, I think I know I, I, I agree with that the patent system is great so it's um there's no no use to to invent the wheel uh, another time I just I just think today we have more activity there are more people doing research and uh, as far as I understand the situation um sometimes I mean especially with with SARS-CoV-2 uh, this these 12 months made me think a lot about it um sometimes uh, accidentally scientists make new discovery that could be promising um also the development speed increased when I think Back 40 years, the world was much slower than today. Um, best example, again, is SARS-CoV-2, 12 months uh, to market. It's really impressive. Um, and also with the, uh, the improvements in the communication technology, I think in the, in, the, in the 90s, it was tremendously expensive to have an overseas call with the United States. Uh, so intercontinental collaboration was uh, slow and expensive. People had to travel. Today, I mean, we are doing a Zoom call. Uh, you are sitting in Munich and I'm here in Vienna and we can have a nice conversation that basically uh, is at zero expenses. Uh, doesn't cost anything. So it, uh, no mobile phone company like in the 90s will send me uh, an invoice over a few thousand euros for that. Uh, the nice thing is with uh, these new tools, we can increase the level of collaboration so people can work much better together. And I think this will just decrease the time. When I look now on the patent side, I mean, the the length and the time period, I think, was shaped in a legal system that was much slower. So today, I mean, it is uh, 20 years time periods, the likelihood that the group invents something that uh, turns out to... Um, be a new product uh, within 20 years on uh, something that was patented by another party is very high. And I think when we look 100 years back, the likelihood was, in my opinion, a little bit lower than today. So the question okay. then really is, uh, I mean, patents, basically it's a monopoly. So the patent owner can uh, protect their asset and they can prevent another party to enter in that market or uh, make use of his monopoly without his uh, agreement to that. Uh, the question that I, I have in mind is how can we change that, that there is more willingness to, to license things? I mean, this was the discussion that popped up also with SARS-CoV-2, where some politicians started thinking about uh, enforcing licenses or being much stricter to that or setting up regulations. What, what, uh, in your opinion, what do you hear? What, what's going on in that space uh, to evolve the, the entire patent and license system currently? Yeah, I think there are, of course, as always, several aspects. And first of all, I just wanted to mention in, in, in the pharmaceutical area, of course, you can get five further years as a, a supplementary protection certificate. That is also something uh, you should have heard about it because if your clinical trial for getting all the regulatory uh, affairs done is more than five years, um, the, the period that lasts more than five years, you can add, um, add to the 20 years in, in patent protection. That is interesting for investors as well. Um, then, of course, I know what you mean. That was um, a discussion uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago with all that uh, generic uh, stuff coming on the market produced in India and China. And, of course, during that days, um, imagine you have now decided with your application strategy what will 
or it would be best if you would also consider what are the markets in 20 years and where are the production facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And during that time, most people did not believe that the Asian countries like India and China will grow so fastly. And of course, yeah, yes, nowadays we have a lot of working groups there. We have brilliant uh, brains there as well. And um, of course, in, in some areas, you have um, an equal level of understanding of the science in all countries over the world, even in countries like Brazil, for instance, they have really brilliant working groups. And in some technical areas, they are on the same level as in the U.S. or elsewhere. And um And nowadays, I think what is also very important that if we talk about languages and translation, um, um, you may know that, that most of the cost arises after 30 months of filing a patent application because if you have an international uh, a PCT application under the Patent Corporation Treaty, which most people say it's an international um, application, you have to decide um, which countries are the most promising one where I want to have the protection and then to file translations of your patent application. And in former days, you had only that national filing. So you had a filing in China, in Chinese, you had a, uh, a filing in Japan, in Japanese language, etc. But nowadays, with all that Google translation machines with a deep L, and, and just to name a few, you are now in a position that, for instance, the European Patent Office already offers in a, a computer software uh, translating patent applications into Chinese language and Japanese language. So the exchange is much more faster. Uh, 20 years ago, a Chinese company had to uh, pay for translating the German patent application of the, the German national office into Chinese and had to pay for this. Now they can do a machine translation and just check, is it our invention? Is there a conflict or not? So I think this is the, the translation machines. That is a tool that accelerates the whole Absolutely. process in exchanging the process. And Of course, imagine nowadays, if you heard about that that issue, um, do we have to um, get rid of the patents for the vaccines, at least for a specific period of time in order to uh, make other or developing countries able to produce the vaccine? And I think I'm always... Um, on the side of a scientific-based realistic argument mm -hmm. and not so on an emotional argument. And I think the argument um, that was made by, for instance, BioNTech, et cetera, they said it's very complex. And to make sure that at the end we have an, a high-quality product You need that the scientific and technological skills to produce it. 
And that is a, a question of a license. And we offered all, all companies that came to us and asked for a license, we, we negotiated and we, we are um, in a position to, to, to provide the license. But it makes no sense to get rid of the patents and say, um, we, we, patents are stupid stuff because then you get companies and, and, and production facilities, they produce something, but it's not guaranteed that the product will have the same uh, properties and the same quality. And I think, especially in that vaccine production, issue it's really important that at the end the product really helps because otherwise you have uh yeah you have a, a money cash burn uh, that that at the end with no results but this was yeah this was also the thought i had when i heard about the discussion in um in the vaccine space to enforce uh or to, to basically put all to waive all patent rights uh, by enforcement of the government. The uh, first thought was, does it really solve a problem? Is there really a problem there? And I thought, no, there is no problem because uh, patents in that particular case, um, the licensing uh, negotiating strategies of the pharma industry, I think it works well. So nobody's interested to uh withhold any rights as long as they make money so i mean it's it's of course we have all we have to all redeem the costs in the industry but as you said i mean also biontech made that statement uh anybody that asks us uh, can get a license it's not a problem we negotiate that and i thought the real problem there is uh i don't think that the entire pharma industry was set up uh to produce uh vaccines in no time for eight billion people on the planet i think this is just uh Uh, exactly. a, a physical problem uh, that uh, we cannot change natural laws. So it's, uh, as you said, uh, the production processes are complex. You need a lot of know-how. And uh, this is not a problem of, of the patent laws. Yeah, and even the starting material. So I, I read a lot of articles that it's uh, there's a shortage on, on, on the, the edicts. And, and the starting material that are involved in the process, all the liposomes, all the wilds uh, to get it manufactured and, and, and all that stuff. But what will be interesting is the question I heard that now they are uh, um, in a process of establishing um, production facilities in Africa. And I think that will be really interesting. The companies that are now today are interested in vaccine production, if they file a patent application, maybe they should also consider about having protection in the African area or in that in that uh, regional regional patent system in Africa. Because if you now today start with production facilities there, then in about one, two, three, five years, you will have excellent educated, skilled mm, scientists, scientists there. And um, then if there is an industry upcoming, then it's like in China, the, the countries are interested in 
improving the system at the very first beginning the the law enforcement system will not be so strong but five years later it will be equal and then at the end um, in 10 years you can have a completely different situation there and even and also the labor costs um, I heard about um, a production industry moving from China to Ethiopia Uh, uh, for shoe manufacturing because it's, the labor costs are so low in Ethiopia. So uh, that are that are the, the issues you have at least somehow to consider and to think about future markets because it would be a pity if you would have no production or, or no possibility to have patent Uh, rights there where they will produce it uh, mainly in, in 15 years. That's true. I think there is, uh, I think the world is uh, still with, with, with the lockdowns, the world is moving uh, more uh, closer together than falling apart. Um, looking at today's problems, I think uh, what also SARS-CoV-2 showed is that international collaboration uh, really helps to tackle and solve the world's most pressing problems. And I think this is true for a lot of problems that we have currently. Just think about climate change. Uh, I think this is uh, currently a fact that nobody <laughs> discusses anymore or challenges it. And uh, when, I, when I try to think like a politician, which I'm not, but let's just uh, try it for, uh, for, uh, for this exercise. Uh, When I want to solve a pressing problem like climate change, I mean, I think I want to have as many people as possible working on that problem. Um, on the other hand, the today's problems, uh, solving today's problems is very expensive. It needs a lot of capital. Uh, I, I mentioned already uh, a new therapy. I think uh, 10 years ago, it was $1 billion. Uh, Now, the latest statistics show we need $3 billion. Um, and patents are definitely something that in some cases are helpful and in some cases maybe uh, it keeps people from starting working because they think, okay, we can, cannot make any money with that because uh, someone else already filed a patent. Um, interestingly, I just checked it while we were speaking on the internet, uh, Elon Musk made a, a very interesting move already in 2014. Um, he put all his patents, uh, all, uh, Tesla's patents, uh, basically in the public domain, uh, basically everybody got a license for free from Tesla. So um, up to now, Tesla doesn't literally own any patents anymore because any, anybody can use the invention. And uh, to the question why he did it, he said, okay, uh, we want to be uh, the technolo technological leader um, in that space. Uh, we don't need patents to protect it. We want to help other companies to evolve faster. Uh, what do you think about such a strategy? I think it depends on the technological area because, as we said, you have some, even if you have that, that requirement of sufficiency of disclosure and that reworkability, I, during my time at university, I, need, I needed to synthesize a chemical compound from a patent application and it was a disaster to be honest I don't know I did exactly the same what they disclosed and at the end uh, the product was not there and then I noticed yeah okay if from if for a skilled person it sounds 
um, like this is the plan and this is correct. Maybe they added one drop of 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 free ethylamine or something different, or the pH was zero point two, not ideal or whatsoever. So as patentee, you have still tools to disclose everything, but in in fact, not really, really every detail. And imagine. It's not that you invent something and, and, and the people after two months know everything. It's a long ongoing process. You need to understand it. You need to understand the parameters. Uh, that is science. And mm. every scientist know how, how that it's, it's, it's really a hard, a tough way to, to get through that, to, to, to um, define your invention really with the features you really know. And I can assume that Elon Musk meant that we are so far ahead already and we have the stuff and it took us years to get the knowledge and how everything is interconnected that it's not so easy for others that are now in the process to establish this technology Even if they read our patents, they have not the experience, they have not the fine tuning, they have not the, the skills to put one piece together so they, they have it. And that one or two year, they still need to catch up with us. Uh, we are far ahead. So the, 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 the distance remains and therefore we are really reluctant and 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 really relaxed about that 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 situation i think it helps to evolve and and uh, of course he has he has um a lot of projects remember mm -hmm. that 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 uh all others with the hyperloop and 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 with the with a solar energy and 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 all that it's really amazing i read uh, his his book about the uh All, all, yeah, the projects and how they de developed in that. And I think if you hear that he he slept in in the factory on the ground and 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 worked 14, 16 hours, of course you you get ahead with <laughs> with evolving your system and developing your your techniques. If your competitors have uh, 35 hours a week. No, I think yeah, I, I think uh, the, the example of Elon Musk. Uh, I have to check it after our talk. Uh, I think his uh, his point was uh, Tesla is in is a development business, so we want to develop new technology and uh, help humanity to evolve. Uh, we are not in the filing lawsuit for patent infringement business, so this is nothing that Tesla is doing. And I think this can be done. For, for from founders and CEOs of companies with a market capitalization of 600 billion dollars or uh, where they still own a third of the company because as you said I mean they are so big and they have put so many small pieces together which is really complex that someone who wants to copy that uh, basically needs to collaborate with Tesla to really understand how they are doing that and needs to send stuff to the com uh, to Tesla to get proper training Uh, and being involved in the development. I think it's also the point, it's true for BioNTech um, uh, or Moderna. I think the, they have developed and evolved the technology in a way that it's really hard to copy. It's not easy 
to just take it, read it from the patents and set up a production site. And two months later, you can uh, put 8 billion doses on the market. So it needs a lot of money. It needs a lot of uh, insight, know-how. Uh, it needs team building. It's also not easy to bring uh, scientists together at scale. So thousands of scientists working towards the same goal. It's a lot of uh, management expertise that's needed. Um, I think it's less true for small companies. When I think uh, about the founding scientists that uh, want to develop something new and have a sound idea, which really can help uh, also humanity to evolve. What do we have in a company in the beginning? We don't have a team. We don't have... Uh, trade secrets uh, evolved. The only thing we have initially is basically a patent that we can put into a company shell and that we can use for evaluation to attract investors to invest money in that. If uh, in the beginning we don't file patents, there's basically nothing in the company. So You are absolutely right. And I think um, that is also a difference to the Elon Musk story because somehow he was also able to to make a lot of money even if his companies failed and and had also <laughs> it was not a deep curve up it was an up and down and and a lot of people forget that they were really really down and 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 yeah. close to bankruptcy and then somehow he managed to to survive and That is true for, for most of the most brilliant uh, people on this planet. They had really ups and downs and all the people only see the ups and think, oh, that is so easy. Uh, no, I don't think it's easy. And you are absolutely right. At the very first beginning, the problem is if you have no money, you need to attract the investors to get you the money and and of course if you are in in that uh, position after years that you think oh, okay that is my contribution to humanity uh, uh, here i send you the details you can do it if you want yeah that's great but if you have the patents it's your decision how to use the patents and and whom to offer it and and then it's your decision But if you have none, how can you attract investors? Investors, they want to earn money with something. And, and of course, due to the, 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 the global policy on the, on the, on the market uh, and, and all the, 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 the bank system at present and the policy around that, of course, you get no um, for your investment, the stock market at, at present, it, 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 yeah, it's skyrocketing. And on the other hand, if you have uh, 10.000 euro on your bank account, you have to pay uh, uh, additional euros that they, they keep it for you. So I think that is why at present such a lot of people go into that market. And of course, maybe they are also thrilled and fascinated uh, uh, about the science um, yeah, it's fascinating if you see SpaceX and the rockets and that you can save a lot of money and parts and when the rockets go down to Earth again on that specific point, that is amazing. And I think that is why, why I'm so fascinated about science and I'm really happy that, that I'm a chemist having that pharmaceutical background because that is that is that is thrilling it's not only about chemical compounds it's about the interaction uh, and, and and all that around 
And uh, I think, um, yeah, I need the politicians should give more, um, yeah, more to change the, 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 the climate that it's more friendly for startups, maybe to amend the, the tax regulations a little bit so that it's easier to get investors and that the inventors maybe can, um, can um, put the, the expenses in their tax declaration and all that stuff to, to, um, to amend the framework so that the, the, the scientists can, can work and invent stuff that helps us. And of course, now we have that patent system and therefore you have to, to, to play with the rules and to comply with the rules in order to, to get through the system and, and, um, yeah, keep keep the system running. But if there are amendments, you can adapt your strategy and, and maybe in, in, in 10 years from now, it's different. It's an interesting point that you, you brought up uh, now. I completely agree with that. I think um, when I look only on Europe, um, I think what works really well in Europe is uh, other universities. So I think we have a lot of great scientists at university level who are doing a great job in making new inventions uh, at scale. And I think uh, Europe is a breeding ground for invention. And I believe it's also understood by the politicians. So uh, Horizon Europe, for example, or Horizon 2020, or the European Anti-European Framework Program, I think it dates back somewhere mid-90s. So it is a very long history that European Union actively supports scientists with grants to evolve the next uh, generation, um, every year, the next generation of uh, new scientific inventions. Uh, when I look a step further, but I think also... Um, a very small number of these inventions really hits the market or really turn into a product. Um, one part arcs that uh, one part of society arcs, okay, this is just the nature of science. Uh, one of thousand inventions really can turn into a product. When I look at the economic reality of the last 20 years, uh, the breeding ground to turn science into products is the United States. So I think all, uh, big products that we now use, like, for example, the Apple iPhone, <laughs> um, has been turned into products by entrepreneurs that are in the United States, uh, especially, I think, in the, in the San Francisco area. Uh, so I thought to myself, uh, why is that? What, what's different in the United States than in Europe? We have a lot of inventive scientists, but something happens then in between uh that it's not turned into product at the end and i think the points that you made uh address it uh really well i think there is a lot of work that needs to be done in the intersection between uh early stage uh startup companies and the universities uh which is on a political level so for example you mentioned the tax system uh, i think uh we need to be attractive for investors we need attractive tax system so that investors really put a lot of money on first-time or early-stage entrepreneurs that they get their uh, uh, playground to try out new ideas, to turn that into products. And we must be realistic. I mean, a lot of that fail. And then we need uh, also uh, an attract, uh, be 
we need also to be attractive to big corporations that they're really interested in to pick up these products and uh, pay money and uh, deploy in that way for licensing, for example, further capital into the startup and scale-up ecosystem so that also entrepreneurship can grow in Europe. And I think we're lacking behind. I think this is it's not so much a problem of patents. Uh, do you agree to that? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's... it's, um, it's I think the, the the companies like Apple and 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 in that the surrounding in the US patent protection there is much more awareness of the mm. system and that you need this in comparison to other uh, countries. In some countries, uh, you have the opinion that patents that is from the evil. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> yeah, but that's the, the dark side. How, how, how can you use that tool to develop a community and a society? Mm-hmm. I think that is the concept. And then it's on on the the authorities to to provide the framework and and the frame. What do we want? Where do we want compulsory licenses? Where we Want, you can amend this in in of course in in the regulations of the the Malta international agreements but there is something you can amend this system and on the other hand it's so amazing if you see nowadays how much money is made with stupid things it's amazing as a scientist having a real serious scientific background it's some somehow for me it seems easier to make money as an influencer and talking to hours how to cut your melon uh, on your terrace and and how to put the sunscreen on your skin and and uh, yeah with some sexy movements etc then really to to do research and attract inventors. And I think it's also something about um, awareness that for for the climate change, for for the diseases, etc. I think uh, I, I slightly disagree. I think it's only easy in the United States and interestingly in China. Uh, I think this comes this falls back to to the perception of entrepreneurship. So you're talking about, for example, TikTok. Uh, influencer. So I just I had enough time during the pandemic, during the lockdown, to so do a little bit research on that. And uh, these these are not not one hit wonders. So it, it looks really funny. Just thinking, uh, Charlie DeMario, for example. I mean, it, it's it's a, a eighteen or nineteen year old woman from the United States who looked like this one hit wonder on TikTok. So she made basically TikTok famous, but uh, she trained dancing all her life. So she has really put, I think, uh, 18 years of work behind it uh, so that it really looks then effortlessly on TikTok. And the thing is, the TikTok algorithm only works uh, for people who put out 8, 9, 10, 11 videos per day on a constant basis. So every day, 10, 11 videos, it's a full-time job, basically. So it, it's it's it, it's not that easy. I think what we like in Europe a little bit is uh, an understanding of the benefits of entrepreneurship. Uh, I rarely see any influencers arising from Europe that uh, have a global reach. So this is really a phenomenon uh, that's uh, that works in China, in India, 
and in the United States, in my opinion. In China and India, so well that the government starts restricting that because the influencers really get influence. Uh, in Europe, uh, however, uh, I see some influencers, but they have small, definitely small, smaller followings than their Chinese, Indian, and uh, United States counterpart. I think what we need is, a, is a, an improvement in the understanding of the benefits of entrepreneurship here in Europe. Definitely, but I think uh, it, I had now uh, not uh, TikTok in my mind. I thought about a story. My friend, she's a tax advisor, told me that she had a new client in the age of 18. And, and shortly after school, he decided that he will become a professional game player. So he, yeah. he the whole day, he's in front of his computer playing that um that games where you have to shoot um, the whole day and, and people pay for watching him playing the game and he makes two or three thousand euros a month with this and he asks her whether he can buy a new computer and whether he can reduce the taxes with that. So that was really very funny, but I think uh, what is the, yeah, how can you attract um, that that uh, a group to study chemistry or pharmaceutical science or whatsoever, earn no money, uh, spend years of your life to come to an understanding to, think, to get think, in that entrepreneurship I, if you can uh, earn money with playing computer games the whole I think day. It's, I think it's similar challenging. I mean, uh, it, it, sounds, it sounds funny and easy initially. Um, so, so one of these computer players is his name is Ninja. So his his in-game name is Ninja, and he he makes millions every year with just playing computer games. But as I said uh, in the example before, it's a full-time job. So it's not that he sits down for five minutes per day or once a week and makes millions. Uh, he plays this stupid Fortnite uh, eight to ten hours per day and streams his gaming sessions to YouTube and makes money out of the YouTube algorithm. And at some point in time, uh, also Red Bull decided to sponsor him. And uh, he's doing that, I think, let me just think, I think for, for, ten, for more than 10 years now. 10 wow. years, seven days a week, eight to 10 hours per day, playing one game. And before Fortnite, of course, he was playing something else. Uh, I tried it. I, I really love computer games. But just imagine uh, to sit in hard front hard. of the computer. It, it, it's work. It's real work. It's, it's, uh, in my opinion, it's as hard work as uh, being a scientist. And initially, the thing is, for these influencers, the millions don't start flowing in from the first minute. Yeah, so sure. very often you have this. You have this uh, it's like science. Uh, also with, with uh, BioNTech. BioNTech, they were not rich right from the start. So they were not billionaires right from the start. There you have this uh, very long time where you have to invest a lot of money and a lot of time and nothing happens. No followers, uh, no comments. And when there are comments, especially on YouTube, they are negative. So they're really, there are a lot of people out there who try turning people down, uh, putting people down. And they think it's the same in science. But in the end, for those who endure, uh, then sometimes you have this exponential yeah. uh, uptake. But the interesting thing is a lot of a lot of people give up on that path very easily. So the minute no money is flowing in, um, 
there is no instant gratification. They give up. And I think uh, those who become really successful, for example, the the uh, the couple that founded Biotech, uh, they went through all phases. So they really started from scratch, built a company. And also, I think in their history, where a lot of times where it was a little bit shaky, like Elon Musk, uh, Tesla, it's the same. I mean, the the uptake for Tesla and that Elon Musk really Elon Musk really became famous was last year, so it, 2020 was this tremendous bull run of Tesla and now Elon Elon Musk has a lot of influence and when he tweets Dogecoin, uh, the price goes up. But I think uh, 10 years ago it was more the the nerd um, who tried some stupid idea and who wants to challenge the German car industry. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, now if you see that that um, the, the, the transfer from, from combustion engines to, to, to the, the battery-driven uh, uh, technologies, um, yeah, it's, it's the question. The, 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 the German manufacturers, mostly it was about the engine uh, how it works and uh, how much uh, uh, horsepower and, and and all that stuff. And then the question is, if 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 every car has the same battery, what is the distinguishing uh, feature? Then is it the sound? Do so is sound creation the new upcoming profession uh, that that there is still a sound, or or what what is that? But but at the end, uh, I, I I think that. Um, most of the, the really big industries, they are so, um, on their track and, and miss development somehow because it's, it's the same structure and the same, uh, regulatory mechanism keeping that system. And I think as an entrepreneur, you are a smaller unit and, and much more flexible and maybe thrilled about an idea and, and, and then, then you do it. And then, um, it's, it's only half on the way that, that the, the big industry notice your actions and think, Oh, that could be interesting for us as well. And then they, they try to do uh, a merger or, um, they try to, <laughs> Yeah, to to take over your enterprise, what whatsoever, but but in fact we have a lot of examples 10, 15 years ago where where such interesting um, companies were were um, purchased by by big big industry, and I think it's also encouraging for for the the starting units. I think here in Munich we have. Uh, also uh, good infrastructure for for entrepreneurs and they have a, a yeah a kind of monthly report now it's not long on paper now you get it electronically what's up there and and it's it's amazing when you hear that the stock market new investor that they were taking over for millions and billions i think it's encouraging it's for i think it's not only to make money, but at the end, money is also kind of freedom to to operate, to, to, uh, to, say, to, you, you, to make your own decisions. So I think it's not negative. 
you, you said it before. I mean, you said patents are a tool or understood as a tool in the United States. The same applies to money. I mean, when I talk with uh, entrepreneurs from the United States, money is a tool. Uh, there's not much emotion behind it. Um, I think this is, this is still in Europe at some parts that um, people think money is the root of all evil. And uh, it's just capitalist. You can use it. Um, one part of this, I mean, I agree to all what you say. Uh, interestingly, I think big corporations are by nature less innovative than a smaller corporation. A big corporation um, has, um, I mean, a, a company becomes economically successful when they can do one thing very well, better than others. So it's, it's a basic principle. And the bigger company gets, the more they need to focus on this one thing to stay successful. But uh, solving new problems needs a lot of creative thinking. And uh, it's just a different mindset. Um, and of course, then there are some outliers like uh, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Google, who can do both so they can be innovative at a large scale. But there are only a few companies on that. I think it's very promising. But the root of that, uh, when we talk about deep tech, and I think we are only talking about it's only possible in deep tech, and one of the key success things still are patents. I don't think uh, that we can give it up because initially, when someone starts, I think also for for Elon, Elon Musk in the beginning, patents were key to success to attract investors so that he can prove, okay, if that becomes really successful and if that concept works, uh, you can earn back your money regardless uh, whether we can turn the company really into um, um, uh, a sales engine. It was, I think, also with Tesla, it was not clear in the beginning. Definitely, because I think also investors um, uh, uh, have a specific structure. It's Sometimes that's also companies that are that have a CEO that has to justify decisions, etc., of course, if you have a rich uncle and he is told about your invention and he gives you all the money you need, then then don't care about it. But if you really need investors, they also have to justify their decisions and why they put the money into it. They also have that regulatory structure around. And how can they act if they, they have nothing to justify? They all, always want to be on the safe side and, and invest in companies where you get at least something and the, at least something is the asset, is the patent. Because for the patent, you can justify that there is there are some realistic features like search reports, like search opinions, like freedom to operate opinions, like whatsoever that is a clear thing, you know, what is the basis for this? And you can make an assessment. And this assessment justifies the decision of the CEO of the investor, a yes or a no. And therefore, they always want also that guarantee to, to be on the safe side. And, and to make the assessment, you need parameters and how you will do it without anything. And I think, therefore, you can like patents or not, but um, in 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 that um, yeah, in 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 the world and the system as we have now, it's a kind of realistic, um, serious feature where you can put something on as a basis. 
I think this is a, a great final note. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's just ask me one last question uh, before we run over the two hours. Um, what is your advice if uh, a young entrepreneur uh, approaches you and says, uh, how should I deal with this patent topic? Uh, can you give me one single advice? What's the most important advice you would give this young entrepreneur? Um, a patent professional should be part of your team from the very early beginning. I totally agree to that. Andrea, thank, <laughs> you, very, thank you very much for this amazing conversation. Uh, we can go on endlessly, but I think we have other, also other things to do afterwards. Um, I put your uh, contact data, your LinkedIn profile into the description of the podcast. If anybody wants to get more information about patents, uh, feel free to reach out to Dr. Andrea Sommer. And I wish you a nice day and weekend. I wish you the same and thank you for hosting and uh, yeah, for having me today. And yeah. Great weekend and all the best for the future. And uh, yeah, we will see. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.